If there's one subject that people want to talk about when they come upon a Catholic priest in conversation, and the one subject that I never ever really like to talk about, and I talk about anything with anybody, it's exorcisms. There is an unhealthy fascination with the preternatural and the occult in some circles, but there is something in popular culture which somehow associates it all with Catholic priests as the good guys in that scenario. I mean, if you need an exorcism, nobody goes to an Anglican or a Shiite cleric, okay? Even they will send you to us. It happens all the time. Now, there are some priests who positively delight in telling all kinds of lurid tales about such things, and then are, there are some priests who are skeptics who don't really believe in any of it. I wish I could be a skeptic on these matters, but it is precisely because of some things that I have seen and heard in my life that I am forced somewhat against my own rationalist tendencies to say, yes, Satan is real. Evil is not just a literary genre for pre-scientific peoples. And exorcisms and deliverance prayers and flinging holy water around, there is more to all of that than I would actually care to tell you. So I keep a very holy reserve in fulfilling people's morbid curiosity about these things because there just are some things that are better left shrouded in mystery until the Lord Jesus comes and explains all of it to us, and that's one of them. Now, you may be surprised to hear this, but parish offices get calls and priests get visits on a regular basis about what people say that they have experienced as some kind of evil or just weird, unexplainable things. Now, the vast majority of these things are people with anxiety or a whole host of mental health issues that the prayers of the church are not designed to address. Remember, we always seek a natural explanation before we resort to assuming that there is a supernatural, a preternatural, or an unnatural explanation. Priests worth their salt have a good bit of common sense and street smarts and are quick to realize when someone is not actually oppressed, obsessed, or possessed. Yes, there is a difference between all those things, and unless you are one of those things, there isn't really much of a need to dwell on the fine distinctions. Sometimes, though, common sense, street smarts, and an examination of natural causes isn't quite enough. There's something happening, but the wise priest doesn't just pull out a crucifix and a vial of holy water and go to town wrestling demons, okay? That's not how this works. Now, people who come, having said that they've experienced something, are looking to the church for guidance, for liberation, 
for healing, for mercy, and for grace. But they sometimes think of the priest as some kind of ritualistic shaman who just needs to do some magic incantations over them, and after their heads spin around for a bit like Linda Blair's and the Exorcist, they'll be okay. They're often surprised when the priest asks some very important questions, the answers to which help us to discern what is really happening and what we can do about it. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Well, no, not really. Are you baptized? No. Are you in full communion with the Catholic Church? No. Do you go to Mass every Sunday? No. Do you go to Holy Communion in the state of grace? No. Do you go to confession regularly? No. Do you pray every day? No. And then you wonder why you got demons. <laughs> so hold up, let's back up the train. Let me get this straight. Let me see if I'm understanding this. You're still in original sin since birth or in a state of mortal sin now. You worship false gods or follow a false religion or have very mixed up ideas about what God himself has revealed on faith and morals. You are not part of the church Christ himself founded as the ordinary means to salvation. You don't receive the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Christ without which the Lord Jesus says you have no life. You don't worship God as he stated that he wants to be worshiped at Mass, you don't go to confession to have your sins forgiven, you don't talk or listen to God, and then you wonder why you get demons. That's how you get demons. Okay, okay, so we are where we are. Are you willing to do what it takes to be freed from everything which is spiritually harming from you? Oh, yes, Father, I will do anything. Okay, Will you believe in the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Will you be baptized? Will you come into full communion with the Catholic Church? Will you go to worship God at Mass every Sunday and Holy Day? Will you go to Holy Communion worthily? Will you go to confession regularly? Will you pray every day? Silence. And they still wonder why they got demons. Mm. Now, there's a famous story, and I always get this story wrong, and there's various iterations of this story. You've all heard it before, but here's my um, kind of bootlegged version of it for this morning. The story about the man who gets shipwrecked and prays for God to save him. So God sends a boat to get him, and he tells the captain, no, nah, I'm good, I'm waiting for God. And so then God sends a plane to get him, and he tells the pilot, nah, I'm fine, someone's coming for me. And so then God causes all of the waters of the earth to recede, and the man stays clinging to the piece of driftwood and says, I wonder when God's going to come. God gives us so many gifts so that we can live in his truth and in his grace, and we're not using them. In the second book of Kings in the Hebrew Bible, we have the perfect model of what we must do if we want to get rid of those spiritual afflictions which ail us. 
Naaman the Syrian has contracted the vicious disease of leprosy. And even though at the beginning he does not believe in the God of Israel, he's desperate. And so he goes to Elisha the prophet. Elisha tells him to wash in the Jordan seven times. And the text tells us his flesh became again like the flesh of a little child, and he was cleansed of his leprosy. All of this is a foreshadowing of the sacramental life of grace within the church. When Jesus was baptized by John in the river Jordan, right, the waters of baptism for all time were made vehicles by Jesus for liberating those who have faith in Him from sin and death. The seven times, that recalls the fact that the church has seven sacraments that all flow from the sacrament of baptism. And remember, Elisha is not just some rando who thinks he's a prophet. He's part of the prophetic institution of the house of Israel and recognized as such by proper legitimate authority. He doesn't heal or command or teach or preach on his own authority. The prophetic institution of the house of Israel has passed over into the ministry of the sacred priesthood, lived in its fullness and with authority in the Catholic Church, not by people who just get up and say that they're preachers because they want to be. That is why you could steal a copy of the Roman ritual from the sacristy and try to perform exorcisms all you want, and it's not going to work if you don't have authority from God to do it. Naaman had to go to Elisha, not just anyone. Naaman had to obey the command to be washed and to do it in the precise way God commanded him to be washed through the ministry of the prophet. Baptism is the ultimate liberator of mankind from the evil one, because in baptism, the faith in Jesus Christ which saves us grafts us onto Christ who is the victor over the evil one. The sacrament of confession renews the grace of our baptism. Sometimes people say, Father, I'd love to see an exorcism sometime. First of all, no, you don't. <laughs> Second of all, go to confession. It's the most powerful exorcism besides baptism that we have. And they kind of look at me. Well, yeah, that's how this works, right? We can't expect to be freed from the power of sin and the glamour of evil if we refuse then to make use of the sacrament of penance which was given by Jesus himself to his apostles and their successors for the forgiveness of sins. You know, some people will say, well, I can just go directly to God. And well, of course you can. But God in his scriptures <laughs> says to the apostles, 
He breathes on them that sign of new life and says, be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. He whose sins you hold bound are bound, and those whose sins you loose are loosened. And that wasn't just to the apostles. It was first of all to Peter and then to all of the apostles. The church didn't end in the last book of Revelation. It kept going. The successors to the apostles kept that ministry of forgiveness, of penance, of forgiveness, and the presence of God going. Naaman could very easily have said, you know, I think I'd rather go bathe in the Sea of Galilee, right, instead of the River Jordan. It's so much nicer. We can make like a spa weekend out of it. It would be fantastic, right? Or he could have said seven times, like, why do I have to do this? What's so magical about the number seven? Why can't I just do it three or 24, okay? He could have argued about the number of times. He could have done all those things. Or he could have said, you know what? I'm just going to express to my own God, my own prayer, in my own words for healing. He could have done any and all of those things, and it would not have worked, not because it's some kind of magical formula. It's because we cannot put conditions on God as how He chooses to heal and to restore us. One of the hardest things that we have to accept in life is that there is one God and we are not it. We don't tell God what to do. He tells us what to do. We submit to Him. We hate that word, right? Because we think we're going to lose something of our identity, of our freedom, if we submit to God. But when we submit in humility and confident trust, God is able to give us the space to plant in us a new heart and a new mind. Even the rites of exorcism and the powerful prayers for deliverance come from that sevenfold font of grace rooted in baptism as extensions of the liturgical and sacramental life of the church. It is no secret to anyone who is in church this morning that as good and wonderful and amazing as this world is, and never forget that it is because it is created by God, we also have to grapple with the fact that we are in a war with the flesh, the world, and the devil. The first letter to Timothy says, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I don't want to be lunch for Satan, and neither do you. But we know we don't have to be, right? Because when we put first things first and bring people to Jesus, we know that evil can have no power over us. We bring others to Jesus the right way. He who is the way shows us the way and gives us the roadmap to do it. We just have to follow it.